Welcome to the New Books Network. I am looking to connect with God through the ins and outs, the everyday kinds of happenings of my own little life here in my home in New Hampshire, you know, uh, taking phone calls or talking with my kids or, or driving people places or making dinner, that God is present in all of that. Danielle Bean talks about everyday mysticism and learning to listen for God in her book, Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday. And she also talks about the special role that women play in the Catholic Church, the feminine genius, from the Virgin Mary to today's busy moms on Almost Good Catholics. Welcome to Almost Good Catholics, a conversation about theology and apologetics. I'm your host, Chris Odinitz, and I get to ask interesting people who've thought about the big questions to share their conclusions, to explain what we know, how we know it, why we think we know it. I hope this dialogue may help us approach the truth and have a really great time doing it. If you'd like to join the conversation, please email almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. Our guest today is Danielle Bean, a Catholic writer and speaker and a powerful voice in American Catholic media and culture. She's the host of the podcast, Girlfriends, which has been going on for over five years and over 300 episodes. She's also the host, along with Rachel Balducci and Carolee McGrath, of the TV show, The Gist, on Catholic TV. She's the author of 10 books, if I'm counting right, which (laughs) are on topics of motherhood, marriage, faith, connection with God. And her most recent book, and the topic of our conversation today, is Whisper, Finding God in the Everyday from Ascension Press. She's been married to her husband, Dan, for 28 years, and together the couple has eight kids. She writes a blog, she's a speaker at events, and she organizes retreats. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much for having me. It's a joy to be here with you. It's my pleasure. So you do an astonishing amount of stuff, and your bio <laughs> just does not seem possible. Uh, and I see so I so so frequently the topics on girlfriends include things like burnout or dangers of multitasking and sure. so on. So you make me think of that funny saying: if if you want some something done, you should ask a busy person. <laughs> <laughs> That's very correct. Yeah. Yeah. Is that no, you? I know. Yeah, I guess so. I you know I try to avoid the idea of busy for its own sake, right? That's sort of a that that's a. a an illness, I think, in our culture today, where people kind of chase after the idea of busy, or they think busy is virtuous by itself, but it's truly not. I, I, but I do enjoy doing a number of different things. I've always felt called to different kinds of ministry, different kinds of media. I, I enjoy learning new things and generally learning mm-hmm. by doing. Just kind of diving in and trying mm-hmm. out a new opportunity is always very appealing to me. So, I mean, I get it when when you list my bio, like it sometimes <laughs> it sounds crazy, and it, and but it's not like that. I'm not doing all of those things every minute of every day. And it's just, it, I've been very blessed to have the life that I have and the supportive husband that I have to do the things that I get to do. Yeah. And I think that's also why you have to be so intentional on finding time and making time for the things that are truly important. Absolutely true. Yeah. So I, I think there's a principle where like, like 10% of the people in any organization do 90% of the work, you know, like in, <laughs> in, a, in a church or, or in a scout troop it's or true. in a school or the... PTA or the school dads club or stuff like that. It's always the same people who are doing, doing everything. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're good at it though. Right. Thanks be to God for those people. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? It doesn't have to be the same 10% in every different organization. Like you might be very involved in your church and somebody else might be involved in the, in the school. Although I bet you guys homeschool. 
Yes, we are homeschoolers. Yes. Yeah. That, I've interviewed so many people on uh, by by having this um, show that I just meet because I'm a teacher and my wife's a teacher. So we, we haven't we haven't known that many people for you. Is this um, a political choice or a question of quality of education? Um, it's it's kind of a, a combination of things. So my husband, Dan, is an educator. He he taught for over 20 years. He has his master's in education. So definitely have that background. But he was really the reason why we decided to homeschool. It was like he came he taught in public schools for a while. Um when we were newly married and when we first started having children and his experience there was not great, even though the quality of education in the schools where he was, it was kind of in upscale communities. It was, you know, good quality education. There were a lot of things about the culture of the environment he was in and some of his fellow teachers and what their agendas were that he just said, this is not for us. We can do a better Mm -hmm. job at home. And I always called myself a reluctant homeschooler because Mm -hmm. I was like, what, uh, what are we doing? And how much of my time, my precious time is this little project going to take? And yeah, I'm still a reluctant homeschooler. I don't feel like I'm some moms I know are just all about it. And they're so great. They've got these planners and they've got all these projects. And Mm -hmm. I always felt like, Oh, I missed that gene. Like, that's not me. I'm always just kind of feeling like I'm struggling through it. And yet, all those reasons, like there were a lot of like different negative reasons, maybe why we started in the first place, but by the end of it, and we're not quite there yet. I'm still homeschooling two homes, uh, two homeschooled high schoolers um, that we have left here at home. But by the end of it, I found that there were a ton of positive reasons why we would choose it again. Like that's honestly the single best decision we ever made as a family wow. was to homeschool and we've made a lot of different decisions and countercultural decisions and whatnot but that and it's not about the education even though that part's great it's really about the time that we've spent together mm-hmm. and you cannot replace that like quality time is quantity time and that we just have a closer relationship with each of our kids our kids have closer relationships with one another just because of shared space over time that homeschooling allows yeah well that's pretty awesome and i think the only hard thing is is to make sure they have a lot of you know peer community. And, yeah. Uh, and that so is bet, challenging. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, you know, especially we're living where we do, we live, we live in New Hampshire. We live in a very rural area. There are not huge homeschool co-ops anywhere near us. Um, when the kids were younger, I had to like drive over an hour to participate in different kinds of homeschool activities that were around. Now there's a little bit more that's available closer by, but still it is a struggle. And you do have to be intentional about making sure your kids have the relationships they need, the friendships that they need. Um, you know, we have a large family family of eight kids. We had them all in 12 years. So they always were each other's friends, but there comes a certain age and stage of life where it's normal and it's healthy for them to want more peer relationships and to be turning to those relationships. So um, some of our kids in their high school years have gone to our local high school part-time. Some of them wound up going full-time just depending on their needs and what their circumstances were. So we're, we're very open to that. And mostly it was about that sensitivity to them wanting some more peer relationships. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Um, the way I want to go forward is uh, yesterday's gospel. I was sitting in church and it was about Martha and Mary. And of course <laughs> I thought about, I have to ask Danielle about Martha <laughs> and Mary. Um, what do you think? What do you think about yesterday's gospel? Oh my gosh. It's you, one of my you, favorites. Yeah. yeah. It's one of my absolute favorites. So I, I just got this big grin on my face when they started reading it. I, I hadn't had time to prepare and I didn't know that was going to be the gospel. Um, I, I love this gospel because this is all about us as 
women, especially, of course, this mm-hmm. applies to every human being, right? But I think uniquely as women, we can really relate to this situation. And, um, you know, I was raised one of nine. My mom is a, a fierce, fierce and powerful woman. And she all of like four and a half feet tall, by the way, she's French Canadian. <laughs> and um, she, I remember growing up when that gospel was read on the way home from mass, she would always say, yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand what Jesus was saying about the better part, but I'm sure everybody was glad to have a hot meal at the end of that day. You know, like you got to value women's work. And yet I always hear in this, this gospel that that's tension that every woman is aware of between the fact that we are uniquely gifted in caring for our families in some of these very hands-on ways, you know, feeding them and cleaning them and keeping house and, you know, keeping up with the laundry and driving carpool and all of these things um, that, you know, women are uniquely capable of in a way that really translates into the, you know, the uniquely feminine way that we love the people around us and especially starting with our own families. And yet Jesus is pointing out that, Mary's chosen the better part, which, you know, he doesn't say to Martha, and I always note this, he doesn't say, hey, you know, that stuff you're doing is a waste of time. Don't don't ever, you know, wash another dish. But he tells her to to recognize what's more important a priority that she maybe had out of whack where she was kind of building up this resentment about her sister and not recognizing that Jesus was in her living room. Yeah. And to me, that's such a wake up call because how many of us are so busy with all of the important things we're doing? And thanks be to God for busy women who are doing important things every day. But how many of us are missing Jesus in our living room? Yeah. How many of us are missing the these people that we're serving? We need to be looking them in the eyes and making those connections with them. It's about relationship, the value of relationship over doing, being over doing. And he's inviting her to see this for her own sake, because it's at the expense of our own happiness that we choose other sometimes. And like I said, not that we don't ever do these other things, not that they're not important, not that they're not a unique way that we as women are often called to serve the people in, in our lives. But we need to recognize first and foremost that our priorities need to be in place. And that means our relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be at the center of all that we do. Yeah. And you're saying that in addition to the fact that Jesus was physically, literally in her living room back in the year 31 or whatever, (laughs) uh, or 33, but you have Jesus in your living room today. Whoever exactly. you are, wherever you are, the person you are seeing, that's that's Jesus. That's right. He he tells us as as many times as you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. Well, sometimes the least of these is, you know, that that annoying person in your living room asking you what's for dinner. That's Jesus. And we're meant to to meet him there and we're meant to serve him there. Yeah, and you were um I I'm blanking on the name, but you were interviewing a woman who wrote a book called uh, Feminine Genius and she oh, was Oh, Lisa saying, Cotter. Yes, thank you. And she she said, uh, you know, you might think your living room is too small or too messy, but nobody's here to look at your living room. They're here to to look at you. Right. Connect with you. Right. Right. Absolutely true. So what is the feminine genius? Because that, in addition to that being the title of, of Lisa Cotter's book, it's a mm-hmm. it's a term that turns up often in your in your in your yes, work. it it certainly has been a focal point of my work, and yeah, it's kind of a funny phrase, it's a churchy phrase, right? But we get it from Saint John Paul II, who mm-hmm. writes so beautifully about the unique gifts that we have as women, and so this is what we're referring to when we say the feminine genius. Sometimes people get a, a funny idea, and they're like, "Well, it's all like hearts and pink flowers or something," and that's not really my experience as a woman, but that's 
that's not what we're talking about here. This authentic femininity that we're talking about is made up of some of these, these unique gifts and strengths that we have in common as women and the ways in which we are given these gifts and strengths in order to serve and love the people that God has placed in our lives. For many of us, that's going to mean your husband and your kids, you know, starting there. Um, but it do, it's not limited to there. It's also your coworkers and your neighbors and the people in your church. So some of these gifts and strengths are things like compassion and generosity and sensitivity and receptivity to other people. These things that we might recognize as a uniquely feminine perspective, perhaps. Um, we, when you're the only woman in the room, you realize, I'm the only person looking at it, you know, X way or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I'm not saying this to like put all of women in in one box, right? We're we're all different. And we're we're all express these these feminine gifts differently in our lives. We're all called to use them in different ways in our lives. But recognizing that we have some of these gifts and strengths in common is a beautiful way to affirm the the gifts and strengths we have as women and to recognize these aren't something to hide under a bushel these are things that we are meant to be using things we are meant to be celebrating and encouraging and infer- and affirming in one another there are ways in our culture that don't accept these things or don't value these things and we can kind of sometimes receive a kind of un- unspoken message that these are these gifts that we have are actually a weakness and that it's something that we need to kind of hide from the world or in order to quote unquote, succeed in the workplace, you can't be seen as this kind of a person. And yet that's so untrue. And when we try to hide these gifts or when we squash them or when we think they aren't worth worth anything, that's, you know, that comes at the expense of our own happiness in the end, because it's in using these gifts and loving the people that God places in our lives through our use of these gifts that we find a sense of lasting fulfillment and real joy in the world. Is there a um, a complementary masculine genius that you can define as as beautifully as you did that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I 100% believe in this. And it's not really a phrase. I actually wrote a column once called Can Can Masculine Genius Be a Thing? And um, just looking at that, like, what does that mean? And I mean, I haven't studied it quite as extensively as I've looked at the feminine genius and our unique gifts as women and as mothers. But every every woman is called to be a mother. So Uh um, that's uh, sometimes people don't like that you say that like that's you're not allowed to say that that's, you know, that's countercultural. And that's not a politically correct thing to say. And yet St. John Paul II is the one who said it. He reminds us that doesn't mean every woman is going to biologically bear children, but it means that we all have this unique capacity for self-giving, nurturing love, and that that's how we're meant to love the people in our lives. And every man is called to be a father. And of course, Hmm. that doesn't mean every man is going to biologically have children. Many will. Um, And for many, that's that's how they express their fatherhood. But it is meant that every man, in, in the same way that every woman is called to be that kind of loving nurturer, and that's part of our unique gift and perspective in the world. Every man is called to a form of protection and mm-hmm. providing. And that, of course, is going to look different in whatever, you know, maybe as a priest, you live that out differently. Maybe as a, a brother religious, you live it out differently, or as a single young man in college, or as a married man with five kids, that the, we all live these things out differently. And yet, this is something that I've really embraced in my own marriage to Dan through the years. You mentioned we've been married for 28 years. I've I've learned a lot of yeah. hard lessons inside well, of those 28 years. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yes, it's a I'm I'm honored to be Dan's wife. Yeah. Um but it's I, been I am uh, today's July 18th. So tomorrow is my 
14th anniversary. Oh my gosh, I think. congratulations. So halfway, That's wonderful. halfway to you. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love yeah. it. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, it's something I've come to realize in all of these years of marriage and that I'm hoping to grow in an understanding of is the more I embrace my own role as a woman, the more I embrace my unique gifts and strengths because I am female, the, the more that frees up Dan to embrace his gifts and strengths as mm-hmm. male, that God has this beautiful plan for marriage, this beautiful plan for the family in the complementarity between the sexes. And that's going to look different in every individual. It's going to be unique to each couple, the ways that that works out. But it always is this beautiful dance between the masculine and the feminine and the unique gifts that we bring to each other and to the family. Yeah. Um, and uh, there's one more lovely metaphor that you had that you quote from the big fat Greek wedding. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> where the, the man is the head, but the, the woman is the neck. Yeah, uh, I love that. Was. Yeah. How did, could you explain that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, sometimes women don't like that. Like you, you yeah. read Ephesians 5 and people get a little uncomfortable in the pews sometimes. They're like, what? The man is the head of the woman and she yes. submits to him. And what are you talking about? Like our culture does not want to hear that message. Yeah. And yet it's embracing that message is truly a gift because it's recognizing the unique roles that we play. And so that line, which is from my big fat Greek wedding, is the, the mom uh, very famously says that. She says, yeah, my husband's the head of the family, but I'm the neck. And that means that she turns the head in the direction that she thinks <laughs> it needs to turn. And this is the beautiful role that we women play yeah. in our marriages. If we will allow our marriages to take that path is we don't have to be the one that's, you know, uh, the leader of the family in that kind of demonstrative way. But we can be influencing our husbands, we can be advising them, we can be encouraging them. And one phrase that I, I learned years ago was that we we, te- we women get to be the teachers in the art of love. So that doesn't mean men don't know how to love, of course. But if you think about it, your own experience as a woman or with women in your life, you, you appreciate the fact that many times it's a woman who helps encourage bonding and relationships and communion between people. You know, I experienced this with my mm-hmm. own mom. Uh, one way that she does it now is she'll, she'll, she, my mom is, um, she's close. She's 79 now and she'll, oh, wow. she's, yeah. but she's very tech savvy and she texts us all, you know, and um, she likes to just send a text and like, let me know like, Oh, your brother, you know, this is going on with him. He probably could use a phone call or, you know, just check in mm. with him, you know, yeah. and what a beautiful feminine gift that is just that kind of nudging us in the right direction and fostering our connection and our relationships as siblings. She's playing that role beautifully as a mother. And if you think about it, this is something that women do all the time. We are rock stars at kind of, of working things behind the scenes. And Our Lady was a beautiful example of this at the wedding at Cana, right? Where Our Our Lady is so uniquely powerful in, in the history of salvation. And yet here she is at the wedding at Cana where Jesus isn't yet fully, you know, in his embracing his public ministry. And what does she do? She goes to him and just tells him, what you know they have no wine yeah and just nudges him in this way points out a need we women are so good at seeing needs sometimes where others in the world will miss them and we can point them out and sometimes we're not the ones that are going to meet that need you know mary didn't start telling everybody what to do she didn't turn the water into wine but she knew who could who could do that well and and she she was also said i'm I'm not doing that and then she said 
And she said, just do whatever he tells you. Right. And like, I don't have to have this conversation with you right now. We both know you're going to turn water in quiet nudging. Yes, I know. And it's just so beautifully done in such a, a feminine way. And yeah. um, also, you know, I love to reflect on the fact that in that moment where she's playing this role, that yeah. Jesus calls her woman in a way yeah. that to our modern ears might sound disrespectful, right? Because like if my if my 17-year-old son calls me woman, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to respond well to that, right? But this is a very a deeply respectful thing that Jesus is doing. And he's calling her woman to highlight the fact that she is playing a uniquely feminine role in that moment. She is showing us what a powerful woman can do and what she can be and how that, what that looks like in a real life situation, in a real relationship with her son. So I, I love to reflect on that and note that she is so fully woman in that moment. And we're all called to embrace our roles as women in following Our Lady's example. That's extremely helpful. Um, the, my second question is, I'd like to ask you about being an everyday mystic. And this is a mm. title that a friend of yours, uh, a priest, ascribed to you that you yes. describe in, in Whisper. You have a lot to say about how you are able not only to find time for God, but find God in the ordinary things. Back in February or March, I interviewed a few people on the subject of uh, St. Therese of Lisieux and the, the Little Way. Mm-hmm. And it only occurs to me now that very often these were women who would look for... Um, Look for the immediacy of the divine in in small things, in the daily mm-hmm. activities, in you know hel- helping a friend or changing a diaper or washing a dish. That right. that we all, you know, not just women but all parents are washing dishes and changing diapers. And mm-hmm. um, uh, tell us about being an everyday mystic. Is it the same thing as the little way? Is it something different? Yeah, well, it's definitely related. Um, so I, I love that phrase, everyday mystic. And it's something I, I aspire to be. I'm not saying I'm there yet. But what what I think is meant by it is this idea of not not being one of those extraordinary mystics like we read about in the lives of the saints, right? Where they have these visions of Jesus and, you know, Mary appears to the children at Fatima or, you know, all of these ways that these, these great saints that we read about, like this awe-inspiring, fantastic stories, right? But that we aren't, most of us are not called to experience God in those dramatic, over-the-top kinds of ways. For most of us, God is not speaking to us from a, a cloud in the sky, right? This thundering, booming voice. Mm-hmm. He speaks to us in a whisper. He speaks to us in these small ways. Mm-hmm. And we can miss them. If we're not paying yeah. any attention, right? If we're if we're waiting for those big moments or if we're too busy being distracted by these great, you know, extraordinary lives of the saints, we will miss the extraordinary beauty of our ordinary lives, our ordinary living out of our faith lives, the ordinary ways, the everyday ways that God is in fact present and looking to connect with us. So I wrote the book Whisper about some different ways that I've struggled, I've I've failed and I've succeeded through the years in just kind of leaning in to hear that whisper, to hear that voice of God. So it truly is an aspiration of mine to be an everyday mystic, meaning I am looking to connect with God through the ins and outs, the everyday kinds of happenings of my own little life here in my home in New Hampshire, you know, uh, taking phone calls or talking with my kids or, or driving people places or making dinner, that God is present in all of that. And the more we can be tuned into that, the more we will see that the ever-present God is with us and he loves us so intensely. And that, you know, the fact that he's He's present and that we miss him when we're busy, when we're distracted. Mm-hmm. We started out this conversation talking about that idea of busyness. And, you know, I think it relates to the, the little way of St. Therese in that she was also saying the same thing that, 
I can't, I can't do these great things, right? But I can do these little things. And these are small ways that I can maybe make a little sacrifice or maybe make a little prayer and make a, a little effort in the right direction. And that it's through those little things that we come to see that God is indeed all around us. And he is always present with us in our joys and in our challenges and in our trials every day. And he's longing for that connection with us. And our world has gotten so much louder. There's mm-hmm. just so many distractions and bells and whistles and notifications, as you say. Yes. Uh, yeah. So how do you have, what advice do you have for women and for all people? Yeah. I, I always encourage people like look for some quiet in your life. And yeah. most people don't have any, you know, or they don't have much and look for ways that you can in, instill silence. And our culture is like allergic to silence, you mm-hmm. know, that um, it, maybe you have an adoration chapel near you or Eucharistic adoration available. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful way to start. You don't have to do a whole holy hour. If you're not accustomed to doing this, that might seem overwhelming at first, but go there and, and spend 15 minutes in silence. And you know what? When you first do it, if you're not in the custom of doing that, your your mind is going to zip from one thought to the next, to the next, to the next, right? Monkey brain, they call it. Yes. Because our yes. our culture and our, our our media and our devices have trained us to be like that. But the more you do it, the good news is that you get better at it. You get better at focusing and you get better at focusing on the, the presence of God in that moment of silence. But the, the really beautiful gift of spending that time in silence is that you take that with you. You know, we were talking about Mary and Martha and how, mm-hmm. you know, Mary is at the feet of Jesus and he's saying yeah. that's the better part. Well, many of us, we, we have many things we have to be doing and that's not an accident. God's called you to an active vocation and you've got to do those things. And yet we can still in the in the spirit of the the ways that we're doing the many things, our bodies are are very busy. We're doing many things in the world. Interiorly, in our hearts, we can be sitting at the feet of Jesus. We can cultivate that. But you can't cultivate that if you're never making the time to truly be sitting in silence and focused on the presence of God. And you find that just by practicing, you get better at it. One hundred percent. Just actively start. Doing God is good. <laughs> you know, it's and it's not yeah. something we do on our own. So it's really about receiving the grace of God. He's the one who's going to work in your heart. So if you're going to spend a little bit of time, I really encourage you start with fifteen minutes. Right, just mm-hmm. start. You know, and and the more that you do it, the more you'll get accustomed to it. You will be surprised to find yourself craving that time or missing that time if ever you don't do it. And um, you just grow in that relationship with God, because in the end, this is what we're made for. This is what we're Mm -hmm. built for. We're built for communion with our creator. There's so many ways we get distracted from it. There are so many ways in this fallen world that we fail to see that. And we think, oh no, I'm made for these other things. And yet all of those things are going to leave you empty and unsatisfied. We need to be rooted in our relationship with our creator. Yeah. Okay. Um, so a, a little sitting quietly in adoration. Mm-hmm. About a holy hour uh, in in your life before everybody else wakes up. That's uh, Bishop Barron talks a lot about this, and Fulton mm-hmm. Sheen talked a lot about that. Is um, and maybe it's easier for a bishop because 
but they don't, yes. they don't have, you know, kids he are has not going to spin right like there. Pleasant. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. But, you um, know, don't let that be an obstacle. The fact that you don't have the chapel or, you know, maybe your parish doesn't have Eucharistic adoration or, you know, you can start with, with where you are. And like you said, that mm-hmm. if, if you can, people's schedules and their obligations are different. So it might not, it might not be a good fit for you right now in your life. But if at all possible, you're right. That time in the morning um, is, that's a precious time of prayer for me before anybody else can kind of lay, you know, lay their hands on my schedule and and tell me what they need me to be doing, that giving those kind of first fruits, right? Those, that first hour Mm -hmm. to God, and it doesn't have to be an hour. Don't be intimidated by that. You know, give him what you have. Beginning there, I find is really a beautiful way of entering into all of the busy things you have to be doing throughout your day, all of those distractions um, with a different spirit having everything in its right place and, you know, putting God as that first priority and not everything's going to work out perfectly. It's not a magic thing, but it's what we're made to do. And, you know, for many years when our kids were little, I was kind of living, just flying around by the seat of my pants, just putting out fires every single day. And life is like that sometimes, but I do know those times in my life where I got pulled away from a daily practice of prayer, even, you know, just spending a few minutes in the morning. Those, those were times when I wound up feeling overwhelmed overwhelmed and empty and disillusioned. And I'd find myself thinking, where's God, right? And Mm -hmm. he wasn't the one who moved. It was me, right? I had moved away and I needed to refocus and bring myself back because, you know, when you're very busy, you might find yourself saying things like, oh, my whole life is a prayer. I'm I'm doing this work and my life is a prayer. But, (laughs) and that can be beautifully true, right? But it can also be a lie that you're telling yourself because if you're never making time intentionally to be in relationship with God, to be focused on the presence of God, to Mm -hmm. just sit in stillness and allow him to enter into your heart, to speak to you, um, then your, your whole life is not going to be a prayer because it's not based on anything. So you need to have that, that rooted connection with God first and foremost. Yeah. And we have so many sneaky little electronic devices that will happily gobble up any, any, don't we love them? Yes. Don't we love them? And, and they're, you know, they're habit forming by design and this is a helpful thing to remember, right? Your cell phone is designed to be addictive and all of those precious apps that you love to open up are all designed to be addictive. So I, I always encourage people, you know, you're the boss of your time and you are the boss of how you're going to spend your time and, how you're going to spend your energy in the day. Don't just, you know, but just forfeit it over to this device. You know, this, this kind of this social media culture we're living in, it's like this great experiment and we're all the victims of it, honestly. Yeah. You know, um, th- we don't even know yet how it's all going to turn out, but we've already seen some negative effects from it in ourselves and in our children. And so be aware of that and uh, take back charge of your time and your attention. And don't just give it over to this device because everybody else is doing it or because it's the easy thing to do or because you're in the habit of doing that. Really be intentional about how you're spending your time. And sometimes that's going to mean putting your stupid cell phone away Mm -hmm. and really engaging in relationship with the people in your lives. Or it might mean removing certain apps from your phone that you find really addictive or that Mm -hmm. in the, in the end, the net effect is a negative one for you. Why do you have that in your life? Really, you know, take the time to examine how you're spending your time. And if it's really serving you, serving your family and serving God. Yeah, no. And I also think that 
I'm a little bit immune because I'm older, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 45. I just don't care about uh, <laughs> social media. And my kids are completely in my power. So they don't have any phones or any mm-hmm. screen time of any kind. So that's easy. But when I look at my students who are teenagers and who are often raised yeah. with these things, they can't not. They don't care about their participation grade. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to look at their phones. And yeah. That's, I think there's a, I don't know. Are you worried for this generation or or is it just the world always changes? Yeah, nothing's outside the grace of God, of course. So we can't despair, but I am worried for this generation. You know, I just recently was in the airport and just sitting there waiting for my flight and looking around, every single person is on a device, right? And that's just a really weird kind of um, subhuman feeling, like where everybody's connected to these devices and maybe they're doing very good things and communicating with family and whatnot. Of course, I love my cell phone for its convenience, but you know, we do need to be kind of thoughtful and reflective about these things, these habits that we'll engage in and the effect that it'll have on us. So, um, you know, I encourage my kids for sure. We, we are very careful about when we allow them to have cell phones, of course. Um, and they're the last ones among all their peers and oh my gosh, they hate us for it. And that's just how it is. And we're just the mean parents for that. Um, but even, even so it, it's still, you know, giving them a dangerous tool by the time they have it, maybe when they're 16 or 17 years old and just being careful about how they'll have it. And, um, I, I think it's so important to do that because what we need to be doing is teaching our kids that this is a tool and this mm-hmm. is a powerful tool, a dangerous tool. Like you would never hand your child a loaded gun, right? Mm-hmm. But this is like a loaded gun because there's potential to harm them and harm others um, when you're just handing them a, a, a device to carry in their pocket that will give them access to the internet. And that's yeah. the unfortunate world we live in. But I think parents really, rather than, I, I totally get the temptation to want to stick your head in the sand and yeah. be like, everybody else is doing it must not be bad. Right. Yeah. But um, you know, we, this is, we're called to be better than that. We're, we're called to do better by our kids. And yeah. um, sometimes that means being the weirdo and the only, the only one whose kid isn't going to have a cell phone in, yeah. in third grade or whatever. But, and, and you know, the rules are going to look different from family to family. I'm not spelling out what rules need to be for everybody, but really, I'm really encouraging parents to just empower, empower yourself that yeah. you are the parent. And this is the role that God has given you to play. So sometimes it's, it's going to be a a tough, a tough call and a countercultural one. Yeah, that's true. And if you have other families who are doing the same thing, you're very lucky because then your then your kids can grumble together. Yes. (laughs) A lot of friends who do the same sort of thing. That's great. Um, um, Right. Okay. And another way that you find God whispering to you is this, which is through the word of God. Would you talk about that? Yeah. So this is um, this is something that was kind of a, a revelation to me years ago when I first started like making use of scripture on my own in my, my my prayer life. You know, of course, we always pray with scripture. The mass is filled with scripture. It's not like we Catholics sometimes get a bad reputation for not appreciating the Bible. But, um, you know, all of our liturgy is, is based on, on scripture. It is very much a part of our Catholic experience. Um, but I think, you know, being intentional about praying with scripture is such a beautiful way of opening ourselves up to hearing can, the voice you, of God. Uh, let, let me interrupt. Why yeah. do you say? Why do? Why do we get a bad rap for that? Because that <laughs> seems to me so obvious. Like we have three readings. We have like when I go, right. my, my wife's a Protestant, so I also I, and and I love our Protestant church too. I mm-hmm. like to go to mass every week, but I well, we also go there sometimes, and uh, like. They just don't read. I mean, it's kind of like you sing these great songs and then the pastor speaks and then that's it. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I think it probably varies depending on the church, right? But yeah. um, I think a lot of times Protestants have this mistaken notion because, you know, we we aren't um, perhaps as scripture focused where some of them, you know, sola scriptura, right? Right. That if it's not in the Bible, it's it's not true or it doesn't exist, right? It's all that they all that you need where we have things like our our beautiful Catholic tradition, right? So mm -hmm. we we have our, our faith and we have scripture and we have tradition. And so I think that it's sort of a misunderstanding of that, right? That we're relying on things, the, the gift that God gives us in the church, part of the gift is our faith tradition. And uh, Protestants don't recognize Recognize that. Yeah. So they see that as a, a weaker or somehow, you know, we're not as focused on the word of God. So um, I, I try to combat that, yeah. <laughs> that bad reputation as much as I can, because I mean, Catholics are, are very scriptural. And, um, but I also try to encourage everyday Catholics to, to read scripture on their own, because it's true yeah. that um, not, not as many perhaps are making that a regular habit, reading scripture uh, on your own. That right. And Protestants maybe, do, right? They yes, do. They absolutely. Get up, they read the Bible daily. They're in right. The, as they say, they're in the word. Like, yes. Exactly. Okay. And um, so I think we, we do, we could be, we could be better at that. We could yeah. pay more attention to that. And a beautiful way to do that is with the practice of Lectio Divina, which is a fancy word, but it's a, a fancy way of, of talking about reading with praying with scripture. But really it's a very simple process of just reading a small passage of scripture and just sitting in silence and being open to what God might be speaking to you in that scripture. And then you know, reading it again in a, a slow and careful, deliberate way and sitting in silence again. And, you know, maybe focusing on one word or phrase that, that stood out to you in the passage. This is a beautiful way that God can speak to you in your prayer life. A beautiful way to add more of that silence we were talking mm -hmm. about to your, your everyday way of praying, because it, this is just sitting in silence, right? And reading the mm -hmm. word of God. Um, I, I have to laugh to myself sometimes because people will say like, I don't know what God is, what God wants. I don't know what God's <laughs> will is. I don't hear God's voice. And, you know, and, and I always try to remind others and myself, like we have this whole book, which is called God's word, right? This is God's word. Are you reading it? Like, have you bothered to open it up? Are you spending time in your, your quiet prayer time reading God's word rather than just going around saying you have no idea what God is speaking to you? Well, he's going to speak to you through the scriptures and it's a, a personal love letter to you that he wants you to read in the scriptures. And so if you don't know where to start, yeah, using like a structured Bible study or something like that can be very helpful. There are all kinds of prayer apps that will walk you through meditating mm -hmm. on the gospels. There are, you know, beautiful tools that you can use to just get started. But I encourage people to do that. Get comfortable reading scripture, get comfortable memorizing scripture, make it a part of your heart so that you have those words of scripture, God's words written on your heart and ready at a moment's notice, maybe in a moment of need, maybe in a moment where you're looking to connect with God or you're feeling troubled or anxious about anything. Having God's word is a beautiful source of consolation in times like that. Yeah. Um, and uh, one app that I heard you recommend uh, elsewhere is called Pray As You Go, 
Yes. Yeah. Love it. What is it? Why do you like it? Yeah. So it's, um, I, I just used it just a few moments ago. Um, it's a, a prayer app where it's every day, there's a, a brief recording, like anywhere from 10 to 15 minutes, never more than that. And it's a, a recording with music, first of all, just kind of like leading you into this quiet time of prayer. Um, sometimes it's contemporary music, sometimes chant. There's really a wide variety there. Um, but just prayerful music to kind of focus you on the daily message. And then a reading of one of the daily readings. And it's not always the gospel. Sometimes they they read the gospel, but sometimes it's the Psalms. Sometimes it's from the Old Testament um, or sometimes it's from a, a letter of St. Paul. But reading the, the reading and then just some brief reflective questions kind of leading you in, guiding you into further meditation on that reading. And then some quiet time where you're able to do that. And then reading the reading one more time and a little more time for quiet reflection. And then it all rounds up in the end. And I love it because it kind of guides you through the practice of Lectio Divina Mm -hmm. of, um, so this, this prayer app is, um, it's kind of focused on a, a, an Ignatian spirituality, um, which Lectio Divina is. And, um, so it kind of guides you through that. So you don't have to know how to do it. You can just use this, this prayer app and kind of learn by doing, I really recommend it for people, um, with maybe kids who are, are learning to pray in this way. I've definitely, you know, done it with some of my kids. Um, you can listen to it in the car that pray as you go. It really is mm-hmm. an on the go thing. Um, I try not to do that though. I try to pray it in, in quiet moments here at home. Um, but also I like to put it on in the car cause that's a sneaky way to evangelize your own kids, right? If you're, <laughs> if you're driving to school or that's taking them to point. an appointment, yes. just put this on and there they are meditating right alongside you. Yeah, no. And that's a really, um, I'll say two things. One thing is like the, the pieces of Lectio Divina can be quite small. It could be one yes. line before you mm-hmm. go to bed, like that sort of thing. And then the other thing that you, I think you bring up is that just spend time with it, like sort of ruminating it, chewing on it, doing it a few times. Um, because I fall into this multitasking trap of trying, like I'll commute to work and say the rosary at the same time. Mm-hmm. But that's not... And you know that's that's There's good. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing right? wrong with that. But it's it's a little bit like oh, and then well, I wonder what's happening with that car. Oh wait, <laughs> I was you know like that that sort of mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I I sort of tuned out. It's not the same level of meditation. And sometimes, like I say, the rosary if I'm up in the middle of the night or that sort of thing. But the best thing to do is like to sit outside under a tree. If you can get your kids to do it because they will sometimes, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. Like come say the rosary, they might do it. Right. Um, and like that is higher quality than right. doing two things at once. But yeah. You, yeah. I, I think you're right. I, I think it's important to kind of reflect on some of the ways that we might be trying to, like you said, multitask yeah. and um, be as productive as possible, right? Your your prayer life isn't going to look productive the way that other parts of your life might, right? Like cleaning out your inbox or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but yeah, I think there is a temptation there to be like, well, if I'm going to pray the rosary, I might as well go for a walk. So I'm getting my exercise yeah. in too. And yeah. nothing wrong with that again. But um, there really is a higher quality to the level of contemplation that you can get good at, that you can get better at, that you can find more satisfaction in and real connection with God when you are specifically focused on that one thing. I mean, does, does God not deserve your undivided attention? Right. We, we need to give him that sometimes. Right. What is more important? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what else? What are some other ways that God is whispering uh, to us all the time? 
Yeah. I mean, I think in the book, I, I share experiences of ways that God is whispering to us through joy, but also mm. through pain. And um, that's something that I've kind of come to recognize a little bit, a little bit better as I've experienced more things in life that, that God is truly present and wants to be present in all of those kinds of ups and downs, the everyday moments of our lives. And um, I've learned sort of, I've cultivated a, a habit of kind of turning to God the way that a child turns to their, their good father or their mother and kind of recognizing that's the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. That's the relationship he wants is that natural connection of looking to him in whatever we're going through, whether it's something uniquely joyful and satisfying. Like I remember the precious times when my kids were little, like, you know, that time when they're just beginning to kind of toddle around on their own, yeah. but they don't want to go too far away, right? You're kind of the center of their universe. So they, they toddle away, but then they, they come back and they're always mm -hmm. kind of checking in with home base. Right. Or, um, when they're, when they're that little, if something happens, that's like, you know, that hurts them, like they fall down and they get hurt. They're immediately turning to you in that moment of pain, in that, need. And the same with a joy. Like I remember my little toddler, um, my son, Eamon, when he was a toddler, just stacking his blocks. And he was so pleased with the way that he had stacked them that his immediate response was to turn to me. He wanted to share that experience with me. And what a beautiful moment, what a beautiful, loving connection between a child and his mother. And that's what God wants with us. Yeah. Like he wants us to be and, and turning to him in the, our joys, but also our trials and the ways that we're hurting, just turning to him the way that a child does. It really is as simple as that. You know, he, he encourages us to be childlike, to become like little children. And this is part of what he's talking about is this simplicity with which he wants to connect with us. And it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. Do you, do you find um, God talking to you in sort of transcendental symbols in your everyday life where uh, like, I'm always on the lookout for, I really want this to be the case all the time. And <laughs> sometimes they're like little funny coincidences. Sometimes, sure, you know, and, and I, I, I've asked um, guests on, on this sh show before and they, they all have really good, really good stories. Like um, I, I was thinking something um, mean and uncharitable as I was jogging. And then I ran into an apple, like an apple <laughs> was hanging from a, from a tree and whack, it hit me on the, on the forehead. I was like, Oh, I'm sorry, Lord. Sorry about that. <laughs> it could have been nothing. It could have right. just been a, an apple or it could have really just been a gentle, you know, like yeah. knock that off. You know, that sort of a thing. Yes, yes. I, I for sure. I mean, I think you're right that the more we look for those experiences, the more we're going to notice them. But that doesn't mean they're not real. Right. I think that um, God is is looking to connect with us in all of those little ways. And, you know, sometimes it's a little sign and sometimes we want it so badly that something we think is a sign is absolutely not. You know, um, I've been guilty of this kind of scripting my life the way that I want it to go and then saying, oh, it must be God's will and yeah. kind of reading into things that make it God's will because I'm kind of forcing a situation. I did this in an epic way once with my husband's employment where he, um, I, I told you he was an educator and I just, I, he had his, the school where he had taught for many years was closing. And I just found this job for him, which was director of a charter school. And I just decided this was the job for him <laughs> and told him, bullied him into, yeah. he was like hesitant. No, no. And I was like, you know, pushing him, helped him put his resume together, write his cover letter, do go through the interview process, blah, blah, blah. And you know, and, and praying, I was praying through this whole thing, but I was praying 
give him this job. Like this is the job, you know? And um, I wasn't praying to be open to God's will. I wasn't praying to know God's will. I was bullying my husband. I was bullying God. He got the job. And it was just a giant dumpster fire from the very (laughs) beginning. It was not God's plan for our family. It was a giant mess. Some terrible people did terrible things. It was a terrible experience for my husband (laughs) and such a humbling experience for me in the end. You know, we we survived all as well. Right. And we're, we're the better for it in the end. But you know, looking back on it, I was like, oh my goodness, how prideful of me that I thought I had it all figured out. And and I was praying in this non, not very prayerful way, not very receptive way to God's will, but bullying God and then kind of reading into things like, oh yes, this is God's will because of X, Y, and Z. So I think, you know, I think it's true that you can see and you can experience God communicating with you in these ways, but I think it's important to, to, Pay attention to sometimes when perhaps your own pride or your own ego or your own agenda might be kind of coloring the way that you're seeing things. Yeah, though, that's a really good example. And I think we all do that. Um, But then there's other times when we pray for things that like we really want them to happen. And they're absolute good. Like I sure wish this war in Ukraine would stop. I sure wish my Mm -hmm. friend who had cancer did not have cancer. Right. And then I can pray all these things and they might happen and they might not. How... How do you hear God's whisper in the places where the things we wish to happen are just not happening? How come, right. you know, That's the so old question, how come bad things happen in God's world here? Right. Yeah. I mean, okay. So <laughs> I could solve the whole, <laughs> the there you whole go. That's of, it. <laughs> of all of human existence for you here in a few right. moments. Um, but no, that that is one of the greatest challenges, right? The fact yeah. that uh, difficult things happen, hard things happen, evil exists, you know, yeah. and, and how can, how can we believe in a God that allows for these things? And yet God reminds us that he brings about good from everything, even sin, even evil things, even, you know, that he allows sometimes for our own good, right? But we don't see it. And sometimes somebody telling you that will will make you want to, you know, punch them in the face. Like, don't tell yeah. me this is for my own good. This is yeah. a bad thing that's happening to me or to someone that I love, or, you know, this is a bad thing in the world. And we can see yeah. that. And yet God can allow these things for the greater good in the long term, he sees the bigger picture in a way that we cannot. We have this limited capacity. You know, my mother once gave me this description of God um, and his perspective that just stuck with me through the years because it's so powerful and, and beautifully true was that she said, God's weaving this great tapestry of our lives and it's beautiful. And there's a beautiful plan to all that he is preparing for us, all that he has planned and the the pattern that he's putting together. And he sees that from, from his perspective where he is up above. But here we are down below. We're below the tapestry mm. and we see the mess. We see the knots tied off. We wow. see this thing over here. And we don't see the beautiful pattern. We don't see the plan. And so we're stuck there looking at the mess saying, what are you doing, God? Like, <laughs> this is a giant mess, obviously. Yeah. And it is. It's a mess, right? But we don't see what he's doing on that other side. We don't see that greater perspective. And I think that's a really helpful way of looking at it. And then just learning to grow in trust. And if you're struggling with that, bring that struggle to God. He can handle it. He's bigger than it. If, you, if you're struggling saying, you know, God, I don't understand why you can allow this. I don't understand why I have to suffer through this. Bring that to him. Even if you're very angry and frustrated and feeling bitter, bring yeah. that sorrow, that grief, that frustration and disappointment and discouragement, 
bring it all to him because he makes all things new. So he can take that negativity in your life and he can make it new. He can bring about your good from those things, even that you never would wish to suffer. You never would choose it. He's got a greater plan and it's going to be for your own good. Yeah, that's true. And he might not change the facts on the ground, but he can quickly change your anxiety about them. Right. Right. Absolutely. I think it's all about that peace in the end. It's not about our particular circumstances as much as we think it is. And we get distracted by it. Like if only X, Y, or Z would happen, then all would be well. But it's it's not about the X, Y, or Z. It's about our peace and our contentment and our trust in God in the moment. And um, this is something I've, I've learned through the years through experience only, you know, the fact that sometimes I pray very hard for something to come Mm -hmm. to pass and it doesn't. And yet then I realize, well, I have peace about that thing. Or I, you know, I've, I've grown through my experience of that. I've grown in my compassion for other human beings. As a result of that, I can begin to see some of the good that's come of it. And just that gift of peace is all that I ever wanted. That thing might be ongoing. It might not ever get resolved on this side of heaven. And yet if we can have peace about it and know, and that God has a plan for our good through that thing, or that he's going to bring about our good, even through something that's terrible, that shouldn't happen, that you never should have to suffer, that he can bring about good from that, that we learn to grow and trust in, in God's plan that way. Ultimately, having that peace is what it's all about. That's all any of us needs to do. I think that's a perfect last word. <laughs> is, <laughs> is there anything else we haven't talked about that... Uh... Oh, no, I think I think we've covered a lot. I think it's yeah. good. All right. Would you yeah. um, please uh, say a prayer or a blessing for us and our listeners in our in our troubled world? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of this time together. Thank you for Chris and his gifts. Thank you for this ministry. And thank you for the technology that allows us to reach people with our message, which we hope will be your message. Continue to use us, Lord. Use us to spread your gospel, to reach your people, to love them in the ways that you want to love them, to be a voice of encouragement and hope to them, especially in a world that is struggling and suffering so very much. We ask you, Lord, to bless us all. Bless every person listening. Give us all the grace that we need to know and do your will every moment of every day, all the days of our lives. We ask all of this through your mother and ours. Hail Mary, full of grace, grace. the Lord Lord is with thee. Blessed Blessed art thou thou among women, women. and blessed Blessed is the fruit fruit of thy womb, womb, Jesus. Jesus. Holy Holy Mary, Mother Mother of God, God, pray pray for for us sinners sinners, now now and at the the hour hour of our death. death. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Nails, spear shall pierce him through the cross. Be born for me, for you. Hail, hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Daniel Bean and Chris Odinius recorded this conversation on Monday, July 18th, 2022. It's the feast day of St. Arnold, who was a musician at the court of Charlemagne in the 8th and 9th centuries. He sang and played the harp, and he was a champion of the poor, gaining a forest from his master that he gave to its peasants. In his old age, he also completed the pilgrimage to Santiago of Compostela in Spain. Our music is from Josh and Margot of the Great Space Coaster Band. Their website is gscoasterband.com. Our logo, the image of the dog, is from a stained glass window in Spain. 
about 300 miles east of Santiago de Compostela, and I took it with the permission of the Dominican Friars of England, Scotland, and Wales from their website, english.op.org. I'm Chris Odinius. Please email me at almostgoodcatholics at gmail.com. I thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing.